Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. And joining me today, I have Andy Melbourne. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, all good. Cheers, man. And I have Mark Wall. How's it going, Chief? Yeah, good. Cheers, mate. Very good. Today we are here, as always, to talk about a film, an album, and a top five list. This week is my uh, set of choices. For the film, I have picked Dolomite Is My Name from 2019. It's directed by Craig Brewer. Um, who, after a bit of research, I saw also directed Hustle and Flow, that Mark might remember, one from a, from a few years ago. It was written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. I do apologise on awful pronunciation. Um, interestingly, the two people who wrote Ed Wood, which I didn't know before picking the film, but interesting little connection. It stars Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore, Divine Joy Randolph as Lady Reed, Wesley Snipes as Derville Martin, Keegan-Michael Key as Jerry, Craig Robinson as Ben or Doug Judy, uh, amongst others. It's showtime, y'all. You love him and I love him. Put your hands together. Dolomite is my name. Hey, you know, Auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy? You've been a singer, a shake dancer. It's real hard to break in. I do whatever it takes to get in. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. Eddie Murphy portrays the real-life legend Rudy Ray Moore, a comedy and rap pioneer who proved naysayers wrong with his hilarious, obscene, kung-fu-fighting alter-ego Dolomite, became a 1970s blaxploitation phenomenon. There you go. That's your intro. Does anybody want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll go if you like. I, I quite enjoyed it. I think I didn't know that it was written by the guys that wrote Edward before I was watching it. I also read that afterwards. And there's definite like comparisons. Well, there's direct comparison by the fact that it's a group of people making a film who are inexperienced, don't know what they're doing out of the depth a little bit, kind of a, a collection of like slight oddball characters. And I enjoyed it for that reason. I definitely didn't enjoy it as much as Edward. And I think it kind of I'll I'll get into it later, but I think it kind of suffered for the same thing that a lot of recent biopics for me kind of suffer for, you know, particularly like the like Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, where they kind of just set up some drama and like something like an obstacle to overcome and then just solve it within a minute of screen time. They're just like, this is an issue and then it's solved. But like I enjoyed it and I thought there were lots of really good performances in it. 
and yeah, like I, I, I probably wouldn't have watched it. And I'm glad you, glad you picked it because I did enjoy it. Very cool, Marco. What are your overall thoughts? It's pretty, uh, pretty similar to be honest. I, I really enjoyed it. My one major note was like, oh, this is well similar to Edward, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, well, there's a reason. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's that's crazy. I mean, fair play to them. They've just cornered the market in just remaking their own story, which <laughs> isn't even their own story. I don't think I liked it quite as much as Edward. Before, I, I hadn't heard of it. So when you picked it, I looked it up and I just thought, Jesus, this this is not my kind of movie at all. And then when actually putting it on and seeing it was Craig Brewer, and obviously I remembered Hustle and Flow, so I was pretty excited. I think the first half an hour wasn't, it was okay, but I think it got more enjoyable as it went through it, really. It was just, it's very entertaining. I don't feel like there's that much to say about it. I don't think there's that much to complain about. Equally, I don't think there's anything to go absolutely crazy on either. Sure. It's just a a fun, easy watch. It's not like laugh out loud funny, but it's it's one of those where you kind of watch with a smile kind of thing. Yeah. It's got its charm, hasn't it, for sure? Yeah, definitely. And and this, particularly these days, there is nothing wrong with something which is just, you know, entertaining and fun to watch. Nice. Well, I mean, I think I'd come down in a fairly similar boat. There are a couple of points I want to comment on, and I might not get all these uh, and remember what you said. Um, I, too, like, noted that there's just no jeopardy in the film. Every problem that does arise is solved immediately. There's a part where he's going to sort of producer after producer and they won't put out his film. And then he does one radio interview and the guy's like, oh, my cousin owns a cinema and that's it. Then he's got it on. And there were a couple of times like that where it was just problem, solution, immediately. It it happens numerous times, like the point where he doesn't have finance for the film halfway through. And, um, well, he runs out of budget, essentially. And all we do, more money. Yeah, all he does is go to the people that are financing it and goes like, give me some more money, please. And they say like, uh, okay. Well, yeah, you can have more money. <laughs> you can have more money, but, it, you know, we'll recoup it off your record sales if it if it bombs. And he's just like, yeah, fine. And that's it. And it is, it's what I said, like, it is honestly two minutes of screen time that is given to that, like, scenario. Set up the Jeopardy, solve it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I bounced back and forth, though, as to whether I thought that was a good thing or not. On one hand, it gives it no depth, really. Like, the characters don't learn anything by overcoming these problems because they're just not problems. On the other hand, I think it, it maintains a lightness that I think keeps its kind of entertainment value up. Um, I think because it's so kind of breezy, I could see myself re-watching this as like many biopics, once I've seen it once, like I'm, that's, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But I think because of its quite lighthearted, very uh, like warm-hearted nature as well, um, it's very like well-meaning. There's a bit where when Dolomite um, finally kind of strikes some success at the end and his fans are queued outside the cinema, they're going to be there till two in the morning. Instead of seeing the screening, he stays out and like talks with all of these fans at the front and I think there's a lot of really nice moments that I think would provide rewatchability for me. Like I'd be happy to sit down and, and rewatch these characters again, probably not immediately, but give it a couple of years and I could see myself coming back to this. 
Yeah, I agree. I think all the stuff with Lady Reed. I was just about to say that that their relationship is uh, is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I think those those two are probably the highlight. Their sort of relationship and yeah, I think Divine Joy Randolph plays a real good part. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a moment right at the very end of the film where she sort of thanks Rudy Raymore slash Dolomite for, for, for bringing her into these, into the cinema. And, yeah. and she says like, there aren't a lot of faces like mine in the cinema. And I think it's a, a fairly heavy handed kind of point to make, and it's made fairly heavy handedly, but I think it's a re- a still a good point and one that was true then and is still true now to 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 a degree. Um it is. And and I you know, I was appropriately moved by it despite the fact that as you say it was, you know, fairly heavy handed. It still worked for me. Yeah, it was like melodrama, but you I got the point and I was behind it. I think it kinda worked because the there's so many scenes between those two that set it up. And they are it still suffers from the same criticism that I said before. In that, like, you know, often she's kind of, he's pushing her to do something else. And she says, like, I can't do it. Like, I'm, you know, scared. I've not performed before. I've never acted before. And then she's just great. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah. And he talks, talks around with two sentences, but it kind of, yeah. it sets, all of that sets up the dynamic of the relationship. And so you're right. It's a bit heavy handed, but. It, it, it provides for it works because the setup's been there. I think. Yeah, uh, it provides for that nice scene when they do meet for the first time, and uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Rudy, is just saying like all of Dom- Dolomite's just a character. She's saying like you're so confident and you're so like I can't be like you. And he's like that's that's not me. That is just and I quite like that honesty um, about the performing facade about having this character and that Rudy Ray Moore, I read up a little bit about who he was like the real man. And they say he was very altruistic. He cared about the people around him. And I believe that he is the type of character who didn't let the success go to his head. Didn't let Dolomite become his kind of dominant persona and remained a cool guy. And I think you get it in those scenes. I think a lot of the performances were pretty strong though. Like, those two were good. I did think... I'm not a big Eddie Murphy fan, to be honest. He does Eddie Murphy things, doesn't he? It's not that I dislike it. It's just after I've seen a couple of his films, I sort of... I've seen it. And I don't think this was, like, way out of his... I I remember you sort of mentioning that you thought it might be an Eddie Murphy performance on par with comedy actors who have done a much sort of straighter and heavier role. Yeah, that sort of uh, Truman Show, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought it had the potential to be that. Yeah, and I don't think it was that, but I do think Eddie Murphy was quite good in it. But I think all of the... uh, To be honest, it's hard to pick somebody out of the cast. Like, Wesley Snipes was genuinely, like, very funny. Like, what he had, like, practically the most comic character and, I was um, coming around to Wesley Snipes as a as a singular point because yeah, I really really loved his uh, his interpretation of Derville Martin. Yeah, I thought um, he was great, but I, I thought like I thought almost everybody was really good at it. Like performance wise, I have no criticisms of anyone really. The cast were excellent. I don't think it was hugely demanding. Like I think Eddie Murphy, as you say, I think it's a decent performance. Um, there are a few times of 
little bits of vulnerability that I think he does quite well when you do see the cracks between like Rudy and, and Dolomite. They're not being asked to do too much. No. I will say that one thing, I think I preferred the second half of the film to the first partially because of what they were doing. So obviously they were making the movie and I found that quite entertaining on just the level of them making the film, even though it doesn't really go into the minutiae of it at all. Um, Whereas the first half, there's that scene where they will go to the cinema, they're watching like the, you know, the Hollywood comedy. And it's a Gene Wilder film. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. you know, they, they just don't find it funny, but all the white people are laughing at it and all of that. And I have to say, I sort of had a similar response to the music that he was doing. I just, I didn't, I didn't really get the appeal of it very much. Okay. They, again, they don't go in, particularly when you compare it to Hustle and Flow, and it's a completely different film, but in that they really go into the kind of craft of the music and the construction of it. And yeah, I think that's definitely don't in this. No, I think that's fair. I don't think Rudy Raymore is supposed to be a craftsman. Like, I think a bit like Ed Wood, he's the ever-positive, like, try-hard. He's got a vision. He really wants to see it through, but... He's more successful, though, isn't he? I think he does does have, like, you know, the he does take off because people like him. Yeah, Yeah. but I, I think he was still, like, quite critically panned. I don't, I don't think I think it was the the scene towards the end where it um actually it's again similar to an Edward scene where they're reading the reviews and Rudy Ray more like picks out the one sort of slightly positive thing in a load of negative reviews but then they turn up at the cinema and there's scores of people there I think yeah. like it was it was sort of liked it, he was he was liked by the sort of black community. Well, this is the impression that I got anyway, even though his films were quite critically panned for being pretty, like, shoddily made and terribly mm-hmm. acted. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's got to be different if you are a, a black American person in the 70s, I guess, is that the experience and who dolomite kind of is and represents as this powerful forthright say what you want black person in a world of otherwise like pretty solid oppression i can imagine that's powerful as a symbol uh, in its in its day i got the impression though that like rudy raymore was a bit more aware of the fact that his films were b-movie kind of material than maybe edward who thought he was making sort of genuine art I don't know. Maybe that. I think so. I think so. Well, they they were they they make a point of it where they have the scene where they're trying to make it intentionally funny, and he the says sec- at the end again, yeah, the sex scene. Yeah, that which, one, yeah. which was great. Probably my um, favourite scene of the film. To be honest, I really yeah, it, it, one of the few points because I agree with you, Mark. Like, I think it was charming and lightly funny. But that was one of the few bits I actually like really laughed at. Yeah, no, for sure. That bit making his like album cover made me laugh when he just like yeah. completely strips off. <laughs> yeah. and he's, they're talking about bringing models, and he's just like, "No, me and this lady are gonna just do a naked, <laughs> a naked cover." That made me laugh. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. The, the parallels with Ed Wood of these kind of characters is is quite clear. Uh, it wasn't. It didn't. Um, 
it wasn't an influence on picking the film, these writers. It's something I found out afterwards, but the parallels are, yeah, are obvious when you, <laughs> when you break them in. I think the, the sort of criticism that I said about that I think is true of most biopics now kind of annoys me a little bit. I, I think like it's, it's so difficult to do a biopic that is just, I mean, even, even this is only a relatively, it's not showing his entire life. Like it is a kind of short period in his life. It's still too much. Like it's still, they still can't go into enough depth on each one. Like, I think that's why you set up, you know, some kind of problem and then overcome it straight away because there just isn't time in the film to deal with Focus, all of that. Yeah. And like it's the same thing with like I say, like the the music ones that they're doing at the moment. I feel the same way. Like I've watched um I've watched Bohemian Rhapsody and I quite enjoyed it and I probably will watch Rocket Man, but they're just they're sort of a bit vacuous. I, I don't feel like you can sort of take them as true stories. Like there, there has to be kind of genuine issues. I think the best biopics are the ones that really focus on a little minutiae of the story and like actually dig into depth on that and give you sort of genuine insight and and you can kind of learn about the character that way. I, I think we've all kind of talked about like what Rudy Ray Moore is like as a character, but part of it is kind of guesswork because even on an entire film, there's so much kind of story to get through. Mm. It doesn't do a huge amount of character work or, I don't know. It's not, I'm not heavily criticising it because it was, it was still enjoyable for it. I just, I kind yeah. of, it annoys me slightly that style of biopic. I, I think for me that almost feels like a sidestep of, of the things I don't like about biopics. I suppose I'm actually not that interested in people's real lives. I don't think they're that interesting. I'd, I'd uh, uh, rather you make up a story that's fun. But I think this sidesteps some of those issues by being that bit lighter and by being that bit more fun and easy watching. And I think I, I think I enjoyed that more than something that was kind of heavy hitting or very focused onto one, one little bit. I guess that's an interesting point, though. The fact that, and this is an obvious thing to say, but the, the fact that it is based on a real person, would anyone bother to write that story about fictional characters? I don't know that they would. Uh, that's a good point, yeah. Like, is anybody making that story up? Well, I don't, I don't think they would, because again, like, dramatically, there's there's not much there, is it? It's just kind of like, oh, guy has had his struggles, it's a fairly nice guy nice guys come first in this case like he you know he 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 gets his success and all, all all ends well i don't know how effective that would be i mean there, there will be fictional stuff like that but mm. yeah if if this was just a completely fictional character i don't think i would have got quite as much out of it because i did find it interesting like i was looking up about the actual dolomite film and that kind of thing afterwards and yeah i, I think that's that a, a fair point bit. yeah no, I think you're right there. I probably would have criticised its writing if it wasn't based on real events. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I get that, but I think that that he was held up as a kind of, like a big influence in quite a lot of kind of, like, you know, black comedians, black rappers' um, careers. I, I think it's the reason that, like, so many people are in this film as well. Like, people like 
Snoop Dogg turn up in it because apparently yeah. he had like was genuinely influenced by his life. And I just don't think you see much through the film that suggests why. Mm-hmm. I, and I do, I totally get your point. Like you're right. I don't think anybody would make a fictional film that was that film. But I think there is probably they could have done more to kind of build up why he was such a kind of had such a cool mm-hmm. following and why like he was genuinely inspirational to the to the next era of kind of yeah black. They have the token scenes, don't they? They have the scene with the kid at the cinema. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough, isn't it? Because then, I mean, you could make the argument: would it would it have been more interesting as a documentary? Full stop. Mm. Um, and I don't know. Again, it's 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 difficult to critique a film like this because it it just feels very I don't know. Shallow is the right word. It, I it think, kind of is. I, I will use probably vacuous right. before someone used vacuous, and I, think I kind of agree. Is maybe it may be harsher. Maybe, maybe just because I enjoyed this. <laughs> Vacuous feels like a stronger <laughs> word, but no, I, I, I know what you mean. It's a fluff, fun family film, though, isn't it? Well, I'd say family film, the language probably rules it out, but yeah. uh, but, it, but <laughs> yeah. definitely the, the, co- the comedy sets up um, that kind of feel. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there was loads going on filmmaking-wise that hugely stood out to me. It was entirely, like, competent but there was nothing particularly artistic about it that grabs me. Even against something like Edward, I do think that has a little bit more, you know, Burton brings a bit more to that than I think Brewer does to to this one. I, I totally agree. It's a really hard film to critique because there's just, there isn't enough. I enjoyed it, but there isn't enough talking points about it. Like there was nothing mm-hmm. outstanding about it. And there was, I don't have a heavy criticism either. Like it was good. Good fun. My only criticism would be kind of of the writers, just because I didn't realise it was the same writers at all. The fact that they've really, I mean, it's it's so closely follows the template. As you, you know, you could almost go side by side and the scenes would almost match up. There are um, several, like you say, that, as you mentioned earlier, the reviews and this kind of collection of his little weird family who he makes films with. Yeah, uh, big time. Yeah many it's it's a real coincidence that these two people <laughs> actually existed uh it sets up a, an interesting thing for a writer to say well i've already kind of done the other guy <laughs> can i can have a tackle at this one yeah but i say it's a criticism at the same time i mean i still enjoyed it so what what does it matter um you know what so many genres just retread old ground it's difficult to criticise that, really. I mean, let's be honest. I, I, as a fan of the Bond films, they all follow a template, don't they? Um, everything's influenced by something. I think some things fall on the right side of quality of those mm-hmm. inspirations, and some are just like uh, lesser copies. I think that's when they're worse. For me, I think this falls in a. I think the word you used was competent. I think that's right. Like it's a competently made film. It's mm-hmm. uh, a breeze to watch. It, you know, for a two-hour runtime, it didn't. It, it didn't never felt static. I guess again, that's part due to the criticism of every Great. problem being dealt with immediately. So there are lots of little problems, but they just come and go. But yeah, I, I just enjoyed it without being able to put a finger on anything to say this is the reason this film is really good. 
perhaps just the performances, like the the characters and and how fun it is to spend time with these kind of group of, of weirdos. Yeah, I mean, that's what's good. I, I think that's I think that's it, pretty much. Yeah, I know we've pretty much finished it, but I would say I think as well, like as a comparison to Edward, the side characters, which I've already kind of praised the performances for being all quite good. It isn't a group of weirdos to the same extreme that uh, the other characters in Edward are that feel it's like they're. And I think that's that's for me is probably Tim Burton's influence because that is what he does. Like takes a group of characters that are on the edge of society and makes them like usually very lovable, despite the fact that they don't quite sit right with the real world. And I think with with this film, like all the performances were good. Everybody had at least a few like good funny lines in it but the characters weren't quite pushed as far as as they were in Edward they never get into um any serious notions of kind of oppression of black people in the in the 70s and I think because of that it doesn't always remind you that these characters are outsiders to their society for in a in a in a big and meaningful way in that time period but that's not what the film is trying to tell you or perhaps if you if you were to criticize it fails to tell you but i think that's true is uh, that edwards are almost like circus freaks and these are at least to the viewer pretty normal people who are just enthusiastic about this one project yeah for sure should we score it yeah i'm ready anyone want to okay. go first yeah i mean it's it's just a, a straight seven for me um yeah i like yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> uh well i'm not going to rock the boat um i was bouncing between a seven and an eight like my enjoyment of it i think was closer to an eight but i think taking all of it taking the criticisms as well and taking it as a full package i think seven is right so i'm going to also go for a seven it's weird because i feel like we all um had the same points on it and um yeah feel in a very similar place but i was between a six and a seven and i'm gonna go six um i don't think that feels harsh like from the discussions that we've had i I enjoyed it as well i thought it was i thought it was decent i'd same as you will i'd probably watch it again you know in a couple of years um but there just wasn't enough to it (laughs) For me to score any higher, like there was nothing that I loved about it. So, no, um, I was leaning towards an eight because I did. I just, just the watching experience was really fun. I just, I really enjoyed my two hours. Right. Yeah. My watching experience was quite fun. Yeah. (laughs) Six fun. (laughs) I I definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely enjoyed it. But, but I just, yeah. I sort of think no, of the I other don't. things I've given as a seven, and I just think they're better films. I'm I'm still haunted by the uh, by the nine I gave Edward. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now. That's what you think about it forever. There's no yeah. changing of opinions once it's recorded. I'm just going to start. I'm going to start going absolutely wild with uh, with scoring. Should have given this a <laughs> <Yeah>. two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. I will say. Um, I've also had a think and I, I've decided it was a reactionary decision to score the Kaufman film as a one out of 10. And with, with some time away from it, I would take that back. 
because that was ludicrous. Ah, fucking the film, was... the film last week didn't deserve a 10 off me, but sometimes you get caught up in the moment. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, so that brings us on to the album. My choice for the album this time is Elvis Costello's latest album, Hey Clockface, from 2020. I wanted to pick something a bit different. Uh, I think we've all been looking for things that are quite new, um, often to ourselves as well as as each other. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about something of an artist that I think we all agree that we like, and I don't think we've spoken about this album or really any of Costello's more recent output. So that's why I picked it. How could you know Senses have deserted me on certain nights when other gentle handed guarded me. But yeah, I do like Elvis Costello. I don't think I'm quite as big a fan as as you guys are. Correct me if I'm wrong, would it be fair to say he would definitely appear in your like top 20 artists? Yeah, yeah that's fair be to in say. the mix at least, yeah. No, fair play. And I think for me, I do like him, as I say, I don't want to, you know, I, I definitely am a fan, but he. I don't know if he'd be in my favourite artist list necessarily. I was Ooh, literally, is- literally thinking that as Will said that. I was like, is Mark a huge Costello fan (laughs) (laughs) I tend to like some songs rather than sort of tear through his albums he's a bit of a a best of man for me sure Um, so this one I think is interesting and ultimately I think sadly I, I think it's fairly average it's interesting when you're looking at a guy who's had a long career and the music that they make when they get older obviously and I feel like this feels like an album by an older man who at times is sort of trying to recapture his youthful sound, which is fine. And there's sort of two or three segments of tunes on this record, which apparently was very intentional. I read a bit into it and it sounds like there's about four or five songs of each recording session, all of which were done with a different group of musicians at a different time. And that comes across, and I don't know, you know, whilst we always say variety is a is a good thing, I, I'm not sure in this case that it was for me. There were some songs that I liked. There weren't any that I truly loved. And there were several that just very much passed me by. I just think it's a bit, bit underwhelming, to be honest. While I think my ratio is probably broadly more positive, as in like more songs fall into the the good side than the bad side. I think on the whole, I kind of agree with you. Um, I think this is a bit of a smorgasbord of an album. Some songs sound like classic Costello versions of those songs. As there's, there are a couple of like, what I think is as very classic Costello ballads, but there was only a, a couple of songs that I kind of really and I didn't think any of them were, were particularly bad, but there were, I think there were two or three that really passed me by. 
everything else I thought was at least decent. And then there are probably three in there that I think are really, three or four I think are really genuinely good. As you say, I'm, I'm a big fan of Costello anyway. I came in, of course, with a little bit of bias on, on that front. But mostly I was kind of worried that I would hate it. Um, I was worried that I would come to this and just, and, and whatever it is that Costello's got for me had, had completely dissipated by 2020. And at least I'm glad to say that that is not the case. Like I far from hated this album. I do, uh, as you pointed out, I do think that variety, normally something I'm, I'm quick to praise. I, I think you're right. Is, is Maybe it's the ordering on this album, but it just feels like there are unusual tonal shifts from song to song. Um, I'm, again, I'm not often one for, for thinking about the order of an album, but it did, it did strike me that the songs just seem to jump from one kind of theme to the next. Uh, not least straight away. I mean, the opening track is a complete outlier, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kind of big Eastern strings. Yeah, spoken I was, word. I was pretty intrigued. Um, and then it very quickly sort of reverts back to more traditional Costello fare. I, I don't actually think the first track's that good either, but I, it was more the idea that maybe he was going to use that kind of sound more. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like the first track. There's a second time he comes back for spoken word. Yeah. I think it's the, the song Ra- radio and the title. Yeah. Radio is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Near the end of the album. I think that's, a more successful version. Like I, I think the backing yeah, I, of that. I agree. I quite like that one. The ambient sounds and then the piano comes in with a real kind of broody noir. Like it sounds like a, a narration from an old noir serial. And um, I tell you what you mean about the opening sort of two track. You get this very atmospheric uh, spoken word piece at the beginning. And then it jumps into No Flag, the second track, which feels like quite typical Costello of the sort of early 2000s, that the sort of the rockier side of Costello. As a standalone song, I actually quite like it, but it just, it feels abrasive as the second track of the album after that, after that opener. I agree with some of that, but not all of it. I kind of had the same feelings as you. I actually don't really like the first two tracks. I think that spoken word one just isn't interesting enough to carry spoken word. And then No Flag, you're right, it sounds like a classic Costello track. And it's a criticism I have of a few, actually, where they open up with that, like, classic Costello rock sound. And it's like it's just an idea that he's had and not really spun it out into a song. Like, No Flag, the it's kind of got two riffs that run throughout, and I like both riffs. But then there's no chorus real t- really to it, and there's no anything else yeah it's just kind of two riffs and a vocal above it but the album grew on me quite a lot as i listened to it and i was wondering what mark's opinion would be because i was trying to i started trying to think whether i would like this album if it wasn't elvis costello and i probably wouldn't that much i'd think it's fine i think it's some of his weaker songwriting um in a lot of the songs but I do like it, and I do like it because it's Costello. Also, it's... I don't mean that from, like, just a kindness because I like Costello and more forgiving. Like, 
the reason I like him is predominantly his voice. And I can't separate it. I can't say, like, would I like this album without Costello? Because it's got Costello on it. And his voice still sounds... Like, one song I pick out is, like, The Whirlwind, which is a pretty, like, bait ballad. I really like that song. And I think Costello's voice sounds like... Like, it sounds like he's aged. Like, he's struggling a tad on some of the higher notes. But I think, like, it just... There's just a sort of, like, a fragility to it that you don't often hear from Costello. Like, you hear occasionally, but... And that, like, overdone vibrato and... I I just think there's such like depth to his voice that it carries it through. And it also means that I'm not particularly bothered about the album jumping massively in, in terms of kind of style and tone because Costello's voice carries it enough. It makes it sound, even though the backing is like dramatically different like from track to track often with like his like such distinct vocals above it it still sounds to me like it like a sort of continuation yeah i he definitely has the older vocal thing coming into play i was wondering because i'm not quite as well versed because it's really pronounced the kind of vibrato and stuff and the sort of slight struggle to hit the notes it's really pronounced and i was like has he always had yeah, he's, all, he's all, yeah. always had that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the, the sort I, of the struggle. The, I think the struggle in the kind of the higher range is less so. Yeah, it's, it's more now, like much less yeah. so earlier on. But the vibrato and uh, he's he's never been the best singer in the world. Like, no, technically. Always, <laughs> sounds like he's straight into a poo, but, uh, <laughs> but it it works for him. Yeah, I, it's it's the first time though. I think because to me his voice hadn't really changed that much, and I, it reminded me slightly of listening to sort of later Scott Walker. Mm-hmm. If you go back and listen to the the early Scott Walker stuff, and then jump to his last couple of records, his voice is just old man Scott. And I think you know you just said it about if you're a Costello fan, you're sort of. You, you go with it and with Scott Walker, I kind of go with it. And I, it's not a criticism. I don't, you know, he is not an old man, but he's, he's getting up there now. I would I expect his voice. To, yeah. There you go. So I would have expected his voice to change and it has. And, you know, I'm not going to criticize him for that. I got um, little, um, I got little like late David Bowie vibes from, from yeah for sure there well was in the vocals some bits, one or two definitely. songs in particular definitely yeah. where even the melody lines sort of seem like it could be something off off black star or yeah 100 100 but i said it before there's just too many songs where i mean they're not laughing at me now yeah hey clock face the title track where he's doing a very pastiche kind of tune there's quite Didn't a few like songs that. that are straight, straight off, like, you know, Tim Pan Alley influences, isn't there? Like, I'd say probably, f- what, four or five tracks that that are just, mm-hmm. like, that kind of American, American jazz. songbook. Yeah, like that sort of jazz influence, blues influence kind of um, ragtime. <laughs> yeah. In there, though, like you pointed some out, I think they're not laughing at me now. It's probably one of my favourite songs on the album, and that is one for me that's a classic Costello ballad, where like 
his vocals over the verses almost don't fit. <laughs> they just they seem to be meandering and then kind of has this quite quite strong melodic chorus. Um, I really liked I Do, Zula's song, which I think is basically like a lounge jazz song. But I was completely taken by the sax trumpet harmony. And every time that sort of came back in, I just found myself like really focusing in on that and listening hard, if you can listen hard. I'm not that yeah. fussed by, by track seven, uh, the title track, Hey Clock Face, but I actually think that run from three to eight is pretty solid. But I, yeah. I, I, I'm not like strongly disagreeing with you, though. I don't think the songwriting is especially interesting. The Tim Panelli songs sound like, like pastiches, the Costello rock and roll sound like B-sides from Costello of 20 years ago. Uh, but I don't know. It's not A lot of it is down to his voice, but some of it is like the bait sort of like ballads. The orchestration's really nice on it and really subtle, gentle strings, like muted trumpets, a little like soft clarinet. Um, playing like really simple little counter melody lines and I don't know I, I think they're all really nice so even though the actual songs maybe aren't as interesting as as Costello's ever written they I feel like he's made the most out of the songs that he's got yeah I agree with Will I really like the instrumental sections of I Do Zula's song I think those are super nice they're just a nice sound. I actually think I think Hey Clock Face, the, the title track, is my least favorite. Um, I think that kind of pastiche of a of a music style I sort of generally don't like. Um, but also I don't think Costello's voice brings anything different or new to that particular sound where okay, I don't really like the music style, but another artist might have made it their own. And I, I think this is just a straight up, maybe from Costello's perspective, like um, homage, if, it, if it's something he really loves, but it did really pass me by that one. I liked uh, Newspaper Pain. I actually kind of agree with the run that you mentioned, Andy. Uh, I don't like Act like, 3 yeah. as much, but 4 through, there's there's a run of tracks there that I quite enjoy, bar the title track. Yeah, Newspaper um, Pain's a, a cool track. That'd be one of my yeah, favorites on the album it's as well. Decent, yeah, Fact, like, at, at eight though did, did that mean neither of you like the Hetty O'Hara confidential I don't no, mind I do that. like that one yeah I don't mind that one it's just that I, the whirlwind is possibly my favorite track or maybe okay. news maybe newspaper pain I don't think there's although I mentioned in the first half I don't think there's a massive split like I agree with you I think the spoken word one in the second half of the album is better than the first I say I don't really like track two or track seven um so I wouldn't say that it, it like tails off. It's just that, yeah, it, it's like, definitely spread throughout. Like the four, quality and yeah, and sort of four, five, six, eight are probably my sort of favourite songs. So yeah, the number ten, the last confession of Vivian Whip was another one that kind of passed me by. That was yeah, uh, same, not nice enough, but just not very, not super interesting that one. But yeah, I think perhaps the highs for me are a bit higher than you guys. Um, yeah, I think I've been fairly positive about uh, a few tracks. No, that's fair. Yeah, that's not not to say you've been particularly negative. I don't know. I feel I just feel like I'm gonna. My score is gonna be better, higher rather than better. That would be. I don't know. Suggestive. Um, I don't know what to rank it. But 
like we've talked about the kind of the older <laughs> the older artist who is still releasing stuff and it kind of often doesn't feel relevant it's never things that are going to be remembered in their career and i think there's very few artists who are still releasing great stuff mm-hmm. like much much later on even people that i don't especially love like i mean tom jones i've heard some like recent stuff that he's released and um i'm not a big tom jones fan but his vocals sound great like really good like he hasn't lost it at all he's nowhere near as powerful as he used to be but um but yeah i i feel that costello's like vocals I'm not saying that I'm going to hold this album up as one of his greatest, but I don't think it's a bad album at all. Like, I think I think his vocals still sound great. Um, and he's, like, done enough on this album to kind of stay relevant. I think I would have liked a full album in the vein of Newspaper Pain. Not, like, every song sound like that, but just perhaps that one felt slightly new for him. Like you say, you've got the kind of more upbeat rock ones, which have just sound like B-sides. I think that's a perfect description, really. You've got his ballads, of which there are a couple of okay ones, for sure. And then you've got the slightly more modern-sounding experimental ones, perhaps. I'd have liked a few more of those, maybe. He had um, Nels Klein, uh, the guitarist from Wilco, and Bill Frizzell, who's like pretty revered uh jazz guitarist like they guest on the album and they're pretty much just doing backdrop guitar loops for him to go over like soundscape which is fine i mean i guess when you're elvis costello you can call up whoever and just be like hey do you want to just like whack down like five minutes for me to like sing over that's cool but if you're going to get two top-notch musicians and I'd, I'd have liked to have a little bit more from them yeah i get that I mean, it could have been anyone. Yeah, I didn't notice that there were guests. Like, it didn't stand out to me in any particular tracks to think, oh, this is like someone else is playing. I think from what you were saying about wanting, um, like, what you would have wanted the album to be, although I think Costello is always associated with that sort of, the kind of rock sound that he, we've described him as, like, (laughs) his B-sides on this album. (laughs) Yeah. he has an absolute ton of variety in his back catalogue. Like it doesn't, this isn't unusual for him in any way. I mean, he's got an album with a string quartet. He's got an album with Burt Bacharach. He's got, Mm -hmm. like he has a ton of variety across the board. Yeah, I'd have just liked a more consistent tone, I suppose. Yeah, this feels like like a hodgepodge of some of those different styles. Yeah. I quite like When I Was Cruel as an album. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'd have just. I'd, I'm just a little bit more specific in what I like from him. I think his his ballad stuff is is fine. I'm not massively moved by them, for the most part. It can depend. I think um, like shipbuilding. Shipbuilding. Mm. Um, shipbuilding. I think best songs ever think written for me. Yeah, it's a it's a really wonderful song. Which you didn't. I mean, write, which you didn't write. Interestingly, but. <laughs> I honestly think, like, the the whirlwind... I know I've mentioned it before, but I, I think his vocals are just superb on it. Like, Sorry, is, is the whirlwind one where you got that slight Bowie flavour? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I do like that one as well. The thing is, as a song, it's not particularly interesting. Like, it doesn't have any interesting chord changes. It's quite, like, simple, um, piano-led. 
and all the instrumentation is really like simple in it as well. Like it is orchestrated, but like I say, it's got you know, slightly odd vocal harmonies. I think come in in the chorus, half, yeah, halfway through, and then and then yeah, dot in throughout. I think that really picks up the interest of it. But I think I just think like that is the strongest vocal performance on this album for me because I love his vocals. Like I, it is a hundred percent the reason that I really <laughs> like that track. I mean, there's no use asking you what your favorite track is. I think we. <laughs> I think we've got that one nailed. I like Newspaper Pain as well. Yeah, uh, Newspaper Pain. I quite like I Do Zula's song. And I do quite like Hattie O'Hara, to be honest. It's pretty bait, but there's just some like fun wordplay in there. And controversial, but I think he's a fantastic lyricist. That's one thing I definitely am behind. But yeah, he, he needs to steer clear of the kind of beat poetry stuff because <laughs> like, that was uh that was slightly cringe at times for me. His like spoken word was just like, you know, I can't remember what it is. White man. I don't I never I never felt any sort of cringe about it. I just didn't just didn't interest me. I, I thought I it's know, a weird... it sounded like the sort of stuff I'd have written as like in a high school as a poem to try and like, you know. If, yeah, you've but, raged, if you've ever rhymed rage and cage, then uh, yeah, but <laughs> then, yeah. then you've been 13. No offense to you, Mark, but I'm going to have money on the fact that Costello is a better wordsmith. Oh, yeah, no, it, <laughs> agree. Like, I, I just think some of those spoken word ones were I don't pretty know why bad, to be honest. I don't know why I'm defending it. I didn't like either. And also, I you, haven't, <laughs> yeah. you, you haven't read my high school poetry. That's true. <laughs> got nothing, nothing to base it against. Yeah. There's a great one about a field mouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's next episode is hearing that. Um, I think it's probably a handful I could have picked my favourite song, uh, most of which have been mentioned. But like you say, Hattie O'Hara, Confidential, I just think is kind of fun. And one of the most unique tracks on the album, I think. So it stands out a little bit from some of the others. I do really like They're Not Laughing At Me Now. I, I think I do Zula's song is my favourite. I just, I love that brass part. It seems a bit silly that when you strip everything back, it's basically just a brass harmony that completely sells that song to me. But it does. It sounds so nice. I could listen to that almost forever. Yeah, but um, brass is the best. I think that's fair. Well, it's brass and woodwind, just to, <laughs> just to even wood, that out. Wood what? Never heard of it. Wood, wood wand. Um <laughs> I like the way that it's the sax and trumpet are recorded as well. You get a lot of that breathiness. Um, I think it's easy and often quite tempting to record, particularly sax, as that like 80s pop sound. I think it's good that it's a very kind of like jazz sound recording on this. Yeah. I don't know what to score it. I feel I can't get away from this general ballpark. But it's another seven for me. Like it's it's better than average. But it's not. If I was going to recommend a, a Costello album, it'd be a long way down my list of Costello albums. If I think my favourites are a ten, I think seven's about right on this one. It's good, but not great. Seven sounds too positive to me, but I'm also going to give it a seven. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just. I say I can't separate the fact that it's Elvis Costello. Like the things that I like about it, I, I like because it's Costello. And I think nor should you. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, does it? No, that's it. And so, although I don't think the songwriting is seven out of ten, 
I still enjoyed the album quite a bit and I enjoyed it for, yeah, all of the Costello reasons. Mm. So I'm also going to go seven. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Mm. Five. <laughs> That's my guess. <laughs> I'd be comfortable giving it a six, but I'm not going to on the basis that I just don't think it's something that I'll go back to like very often at all. I mean, when I was listening to it, I kind of enjoyed it and I did find it a little bit of a grower as well. But yeah, I don't know. I just, it wasn't something I was excited to go back to, I suppose. Um, So yeah, he can join uh, the legendary Matt Berry. On the, on the five God, field. every every week, Matt Berry just feels better and He's, better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I, I'll put it this way. Like, same breath. I, I would suggest that there's probably more chance that I'll whack on the Matt Berry album than this Costello one in the future. The thing is, I think I'm unlikely to go back to it a huge amount because I'll just go back to other Costello, but... I'm more likely to go back and listen to this than like two thirds of the albums that we've reviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just picking shit albums. <laughs> no, uh, no, just because I, I don't know. I, I really, really like Costello's voice. Right. Okay. So that brings on to our third and final segment of the day, which is the top five list and the list that I had, posed for you uh, was the top five anthropomorphic films um, by anthropomorphic that is to say animals that have human-like characteristics who wants to take first knock at it yeah I'll I'll take first I've not written much of a backup list so uh, need to get those picks in there early (laughs) I've gone at number five with Space Jam. Very nice. I had it in my in my long list. Because if I'm being honest, I've not watched Space Jam since I was 12. 11 or 12, yeah. Um, I've not watched it since, since, since I was about 12. And I think if I watched it now, I think it's probably not very good. I know they're making a new one, which might convince me to watch original Space Jam, and then watch the new one. But there was a little period of time where I probably would have said it was my favourite film. <laughs> I absolutely loved Space Jam. Yeah, like me I, too. Uh... I mean, it's basically just an advert for, like, Air Jordans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Marco, what have you got in for number five? I'm torn between three or four, and I'm going to bounce off Andy and go for the hybrid approach. And... Uh... I'm going to go with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it's just it's just super super fun film. Love Bob, Bob Hoskins, great actor. Um, Christopher Lloyd scared the crap out of me when I was a child, and I love the crossover of having this kind of private detective noir film with uh, you know Looney Tunes, basically Looney Tunes, 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 Tunes. Tunes. No, uh great pick i actually probably haven't watched that like much more recently than i watched space jam (laughs) (laughs) i think i have and i think it really i think it still holds up um same with space jam had some really bad effects i think the effects in this really really hold up i mean they are of course 
cartoony effects by their very nature, but I think they've done to such a high degree um, that I think they they I think this still looks really good. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? It's a cool oh. film, isn't it? As well, both of those films as well uh, were my like preteen crushes. Both Lola Bunny and Jessica Rabbit. Maybe it's more of a rabbit thing, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lola Bunny's weirder. I'll admit she's more bunny like. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think that would have been that would have been high up my list as well. I really, really big fan of Who, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Really great cast, good story. And like I say, I think it just still looks fantastic. I think it looks really, really good. Right. So my number five is a film I used to watch a lot with my uh, with my cousin when I was a kid. It's 1993's Homeward Bound: The Incredible Journey, about two dogs and a cat who get lost in the wilderness in some mountains and trees and have to find their way home. And there's an old dog, a young dumb dog and a snide cat, but they get over their differences to be good boys and girls and make their way home to their humans. And it's a beautiful story. I, um, I considered it and I didn't put it in there because I put something in there that's quite similar. Um, and so there's I, a lot of films of this ilk. Yeah. But it is um, good, don't get me wrong. Like, it is very, uh, very heartwarming. They pick dogs with really good faces. <laughs> don't know if that's a good casting thing, but they're dogs with expressive faces. I feel like I know what they mean. Uh, but yeah, absolutely adore Homeward Bound. For number four, I'm going to go with the 2008 film Bolt which I don't think got particularly good reviews and I thought was excellent. Absolute all-star cast as well. John Travolta, Miley Cyrus. Um, I mean, what else do you need? I, I completely agree. Like, it's in my in my long list. I think Bolt was really, really fun. And <laughs> yeah, I, think, I thought it was great. I've seen it a couple of times and I think it's great. Of those, like, animated fare that they do kind of piss out quite a few of them and often are of a very high quality. I think Bolt was one that really got left in the trash when it didn't, it didn't deserve yeah. it at all. Yeah, and it follows. I mean, it's a slightly skewed um, plot, but it, it, I thought it was too similar a plot to uh, Homeward Bound. That's fair. Can you just hear the cat now? A little bit. Stop being a dick. Um, yeah, like a, a dog who is he like a is he like an action hero in films and things? Yeah, that, he's supposed to be like a super dog, isn't he? And he believes that he is a super dog. Yeah, uh, but it is basically just a like cross country road trip um, film, much like Homeward But uh, but yeah, with a dog who thinks he has superpowers. And, and there's uh, like a uh, hamster, hamster called Rhino. Yeah, it is little hamster ball. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's really fun. I it's really like stuff. it. And uh, yeah, yeah don't, don't know why it uh, why it didn't do better, but you know that's the world's fault. Still Agreed. Great. Good choice. Yeah, nice. No, sadly, I've not seen it, uh, but I have seen one which is probably in a similar vein, maybe. My number four is The Secret Life of Pets 2. All right. Which, uh, I've seen it. I saw it in the cinema with my nephew. Not sure how bothered he was by it, but <laughs> I thought it was great. Um, and uh, I think uh, one of the things that is probably pretty common with almost all of these is that the scores are nearly always excellent. 
animated scores usually are and family movies usually have good music as well but yeah i was really familiar with the music from secret life of pets which is by alexander desplat i listen to that all the time on spotify never seen the film music in the second one is also good but it's just it's super entertaining i actually find it quite funny i'm not the biggest cgi um film fan in general i thought it looked good it's got a great cast probably one of Harrison Ford's better later career performances. He's super fun as just this grumpy farm dog. And yeah, it's just got zippy action scenes. And yeah, I, I was really surprised. I would have thought, you know, it would have been terrible to be honest, but yeah, really enjoyed it. What's your, uh, what's your number four, man? My number four, I'm going to go for 1995's Babe. The film of a pig, sheepdog, sheep pig, pig, sheepdog. I actually, I had it in at four and just swapped it out for Bolt, so. There are, synergy, perfect. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why either, just something about Homeward Bound convinced me that Bolt should be in there instead of Babe. <laughs> Dogs versus pigs. Again, it feels like just something very much arcing back to uh, childhood and good fun memories of watching animal films. But when I think back of to Babe, there's loads of really good bits um, that I think elevate it a bit more. I really like the little mouse chorus that um, are at the, like the beginning of each chapter. I think they're incredibly Completely fun. Forgot about those, yeah, that's jokes. They're superb. I mean, the that'll do, pig. That'll do has become a, it's one of the great final lines. Iconic. I quote, I, iconic I quote line. that. I would say at least once a month to someone. <laughs> it stands the test of time. Um, but again, it's a really sweet film. It very, very slightly touches onto the fact that pigs are indeed meat. <laughs> um, but it sort of skirts away from that fairly quickly and just gets on with being a fun little kind of character piece about a pig in a world he doesn't belong. And the duck who, it's a duck like, wants to be a cockerel, so gets on the roof every day and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. eats the done. Guys, just full of great bits, babe. I haven't watched that in years, but I kind of feel like I will. There is number four, Baby Rooney. Uh, so my number three, I'd argue I'm now getting into slightly better quality films. <laughs> um, although I think this has probably aged quite a lot, but um, it's James and the Giant Peach. Very nice. I'm a bit of a sucker for, for a Roald Dahl story. Yeah, I've, I've not seen it for a little while, and I think the animation might look... I don't know whether it'll look charming now or just quite poor. Um, Is it not stop motion? I seem to remember it being yeah. kind of stop motion claymation-y, but also yeah. looking like Roald Dahl's illustrations. Yeah, it's, it's, it is in a kind of Quentin Blake. Yeah. Mm, well, yeah, kind of. I think that might help it to hold up, though. Yeah, it, I, don't, it, I don't think it would have dated. Stylistically, I think might over overawe its quality, I suppose. I hope not. Hope you're right. But yeah, I've not seen it for a few years, but I really loved that film when I was younger. Superb. Another good choice. Uh, Marco, number three, buddy. Hmm. It's perhaps not the best film, but complete nostalgia choice, which is a 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I strongly disagree with you. It is a great film. It's a cinema masterpiece. <laughs> I, I, never, I never even thought about it. It's a great choice. Fortunately, it's on my long list and not on my short list. So uh, nice. we're all good. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. 
Yeah, it's been a while, I'm not going to lie. But I, I feel like I did watch it three or four years ago, having not seen it for many years. And I was pleasantly surprised that it's clearly nothing amazing. But it, at the same time, it is pretty amazing. <laughs> it's got a sort of gonzo fun about it as well. And I've seen some documentaries where they talk about the special effects in it and the animatronic suits and the mm-hmm. kind of level of technology into making these rubber turtles look even remotely real. And uh, it's real impressive, like the lengths they went to. But yeah, it's just it's just quite cool. It's got a badass soundtrack as well. And uh, a bit of, bin- bit of vanilla ice, I think so. Yeah, go ninja, go ninja, go ninja, go, go ninja, go ninja, go. I'm pretty sure that was on the soundtrack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think just the the turtles keep. I think keep coming back because the four brothers are just perfect, like archetypes. Yeah. Of sure. four like goofy cartoon characters. You've got the surly one, the smart one, the leader and the, and the goofy one. And you can just replay them in any context. And it, it sort of always works. I was always a Raphael man, which makes uh, sense. I'm a Mikey guy. Surly well, loner. <laughs> Mikey, Mikey or Donny. Uh, right. So that brings me to my, Number three, I would guess. Uh, it's mainly based on my fandom of Jack Black, but I'm going to pick uh, 2008's Kung Fu Panda. Uh, I think it is, in part, actually genuinely really funny, and I think a lot of that, again, comes from the fact I like Jack Black. Um, but it's got some well-animated and quite sort of visually impressive action scenes you could argue that's easier to do in animation than in, in anything else. But I've also seen it done really badly in animation. So I think uh, I think this is a like a decent watermark for visual and speedy and kind of action-packed animation styles. It does get 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. So take from that what you will. Um, I was going to regale you with a little fact. So... I heard a fact about a lady called Judith Love Cohen. Uh, she was an electrical engineer working for NASA. And on the day of the uh, moon launch, uh, was pregnant. And while she was in labor, solved a series of kind of mathematical equations that were needed for the moon landing that was happening that very day. And then went on to give birth to Jack Black. And I just think, uh, that's a rad mum story. <laughs> it's weird nice. that I've heard that story before, but also I saw a I saw a picture on Reddit earlier of uh, like Jack Black with his mum. Oh, exactly it. that. Well, no, it didn't say that full story, but uh, but it did sort of mention that his mum was a whatever well, physicist. Electrical engineer, I think she was uh, aerospace engineer, but mm-hmm. yeah, involved with the moon landing on the... Uh, on the same day that she popped out the greatest animated panda to ever live. Well, alleged moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on to your number two, Andorino. Yeah. All right. So my number two is a bit of a cheat. It sort of fits the criteria, apart from the fact that it is a TV m- movie, really. Okay. Um, number two, a Charlie Brown Christmas Oh, nice. I think I've already stated... Yeah, I think I've already stated my uh, 
I don't really give a shit about Christmas, but uh, actually, Charlie Brown Christmas is great. Really good. (laughs) (laughs) It's super heartwarming. I think I've said heartwarming about almost every film so far, but yeah, it's just superb start to finish. I, I haven't seen it for a couple of years, but and I can't say I watch it every Christmas, but I have watched it multiple times and Snoopy, so you know, fits yeah. the criteria in that way. I don't know what it is, but I can empathize with a talking dog mm. very easily. <laughs> okay, so number two, I'm surely. The guy must be the uh, undisputed king of the anthropomorphic animated film, which is Don Bluth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's there, there's a few. An American Tale, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Fox and the Hound, which I really like. But I've gone for, I mean, does it count? I, I assume so. Uh, the Lamb Before Time. Absolutely. I had that on my long list as well. I also had um, Secrets of Nim. Yeah. Which another Great another film. another Bluth. Um, yeah, he's he, he's the undisputed king. <laughs> I think that's it. He was kind of a big Disney competitor in that time period. Well, he he came from Disney. That's right. Thing. Is that like, where he kind uh, of got his? I don't know the full story, but yeah, he went and did his own thing. And um, I think out of all of them, The Land Before Time is the one I've seen the most and the one I like the most. Mm-hmm. I think it's a uh, a great great animated film really cool characters all the emotional stuff another fantastic score james horner it's one of those where like it's difficult isn't it when you're speaking about it as a as a guy in your mid 30s mid to late 30s in my case you know if i saw it for the first time without the benefit of you know nostalgia would how would i feel about it and i feel like i'd still think it was pretty bloody good to be honest yeah i completely agree um, I, it's one of those odd franchises that when I was a kid, a bit like Aladdin, for whatever reason, I just had one of the like straight to video sequels. And that was my, yeah, that was like that's... my film. I think it was like land before time three or something. And Aladdin two, for whatever reason with that, they were kind of, <laughs> they were the ones I just had on video. So they were the ones I devoured I, yeah. unaware of the dispar- disparity in quality. They were the ones that, as a kid, I always wanted to see. I was desperate to see them. Because I was like, oh, I love the first one. I really want to see the sequels. And now I'm delighted that I haven't, mm. having seen yeah, they're all a couple like which are really quite bad. <laughs> but yeah, um, go for it, man. They're mostly awful guff. Yeah. My number two, I think this is where it might backfire a little bit because... Don't take my number one pick. Ah, oh, that's it. Like, like, I, think I, I think I will. Um, we all know what's coming. You know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna because I know what I know what your number one's gonna be. Uh, you so can, you do it if you I'm want. Gonna, I'm gonna go for a double header, and that is Jungle Book, both the '67 and 2016 versions. Top choice. Because um, I think, well, I think like the the original is just a, a hands down classic, and absolutely is one of those nostalgia films I watched over and over again. All the songs are great. The story itself is great. Classic allegory storytelling. And then I think the remake is one of the few that I that I reckon is a good modern interpretation of, of that old story. I haven't watched too many of the remakes, mainly because a lot of them I, I didn't 
care for the original so much. Like Beauty and the Beast, which wasn't one of my kind of cartoons as a kid. So I wasn't that fussed about the remake. But Jungle Book absolutely was. And I was I was impressed with the remake. So I think as both versions, I'm going to go in as my number two. If you'd taken my number yep. one pick, um, I would have thrown in that or Lion King, maybe. There's a lot of those like early Disney that are actually genuinely really good. I've not seen yeah. the remake. I've not seen the remake for Lion King either. Andy, you're number one. I think we know what it is, but let our erstwhile audience know. Yeah, so my number one is um, 2019 Cats. No, it's not. I've not yeah, I've not, that's exactly what I was going to pick. <laughs> I've not Damn seen it. It. <laughs> um, it is. I, I hope it's the film that you're thinking of. It's uh, 2009 Fantastic Mr. Fox. Absolutely. Yeah, also, I t- I sort of thought that you should let me have it because you've already mentioned it on a previous podcast. I try and I, I try did. and I try and stay away from things that we've talked about collectively, mm-hmm. and I refuse to pick something twice. So, so I still think I can have it. Is my point? That seems fair. That's it. Well, this all worked out. <laughs> I, I won't go into it. Mentioned like massively, but it's uh, again rolled out absolute favorite growing up for me. I think it's still storytelling is just superb cast is unbelievable you know george clooney meryl street bill murray michael gambon willem dafoe billions of others yeah the music's cocker. jarvis cocker yeah <laughs> the music's great in it the um the animation's superb it's wes anderson uh so it it looks superb it has all of wes anderson's little quirk throughout it and yeah at his heart it's a great story and it's it's the best possible version of that story for me i think it's a very very worthy number one pick i think it's an absolute superb film yep agreed i have plumped for 1968's planet of the apes as my number one very nice christ i never considered um, planet of the I, apes as well <laughs> you know what? i didn't either for whatever reason but it's a really really good good show really should have thought about my list more yeah great great pick it, it was a bit of a eureka moment and as soon as i thought of it it was it was straight number one um yeah as it should be i think it's so it's so good i don't mind the um the new trilogy i actually think they were okay but the original, I've probably watched four or five times, and it's it never gets old. Love the first half an hour. Love the fact that the main character—it's got to be one of Charlton Heston's best performances. Not that I've seen that many of his mm. films, but I just think he's a really interesting character. The whole, you know, he kind of uh, hates people and seems pretty against like humanity in in general, and then. Uh, See that kind of is faced with the other side, I guess, and mm-hmm. it changes somewhat. It's just interesting. Obviously, it's got a classic twist and all that, but yeah, I just love the design of it. I think it looks so good. I love the alien landscapes, which are obviously all just real locations that just look fantastic. All the sets and costumes and everything. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. Like it looks perfect. I think Charlton Heston, for all that he may have been not a great guy. In reality, I think he was a really good actor and I think he put in some like sometimes a little bit almost kind of cheesy, but Mm -hmm. always that like overacting style performance. I'm really, really into it. Yeah, 
there's few people I think that really like ham it up and can kind of get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it is borderline cheesy, but he does it with such like conviction. I'm, yeah, I'm completely, yeah. completely buy into it. That's a really, really quality choice. Yeah. Uh, so my number one, as always, I think this is becoming a bit of a theme for me, um, is a nostalgia pick. It is 1973s. I didn't watch it in 1973, just not that old. But it's 1973's Robin Hood. Um, Love that film. Yeah, I like that film as well. (laughs) Foxes and bears and rabbits. But it was one of the very first ones I watched, and I watched it absolutely to death. Um, I think it looks brilliant. I mean, it it has aged. It's a 70s animation. I think Disney have touched it up and it looks a bit better now. But if you watch any of the original clips, it's real blurry. <laughs> it, that didn't matter to me as a kid. It was only years and years later that I found it in, in fact, I think it was Sainsbury's uh, and realized like the entire film's like 70 minutes. Yeah, it's dead short. <laughs> didn't matter to me at all as a as a wee and like i just watch it over and over and over again um again looking through it now i didn't really appreciate it. so it's got peter houston off in it yep i was i i phil literally harris. watched this three weeks ago yeah phil harris is baloo isn't he is that it's, right uh, little john but i mean he's yeah, effectively no, yeah well, yeah so uh, yeah <laughs> but, but he's yeah. basically the same dude That's, isn't he it's the same same guy and, and i mean when you look at little john it's just the same drawing of Baloo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. They put, they put yeah. a coat on him and go, there you go, it's the new character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also in Aristocats. Did a lot of for that, like Disney era voice acting, I think. But yeah, I just, it's, it, I was quite taken with the Robin Hood mythos as a kid anyway and liked a lot of the, like the Costner film and uh, even the sort of the spoofs, Men in Tights. I was really quite sort of caught up in that, in that idea. Um, and it, Men in Tights was good. Yeah, superb. Is it Carrie Yules again? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Lovely stuff. Um, but I think it all spawned from this and my love for this short, wonderful animated film. Cockerini. Well, I think that's all of our top fives. It brings us to next week's picks. Mark, it's your responsibility to tell us what we're watching, listening to, and top fiving. Okay. So the film will be the 2016 anime Your Name. The album will be Windswept Adan, or it might be pronounced Windswept Adan by Ichiko Aoba. That's I C H I K O A O B A. The top five um, will be top five album openers. So the, the opening tracks, top five. Top five to, opening tracks to an gotcha. album, yeah. Sorry, just, just clarify. Um, okay, well, that is all from us at Screen and Needle. Join us next week where we'll be discussing a new film, new album, and a new top five list. See you then. Bye-bye.